This is the Disciple Makers Podcast. The following audio comes from the National Disciple Making Forum by Discipleship.org. The theme was Disciple Maker, where Roy and Margaret Fitzwater of Navigator Church Ministries led a track called Crockpot Church Cultures in a Microwave World. They've provided the listeners for our podcast with a free PDF resource called the Start Small, Grow Slow Strategy, which leads readers through a pastor's journey to building a disciple-making culture. It's available for free at discipleship.org slash navigators. That's discipleship.org slash navigators. Here's today's track session from Navigator Church Ministries. Here, take this lanyard off, and that's only because it'll bang against the mic. Okay. Here, bang. I'll tell you what, I won't, I won't thread it through. I'll just stick it in from the outside. Either that, or if you have a belt, it'll go I'll just stick it in the pocket. Do you have any video at all? No. Nope. Cool. All I need is a whiteboard. Cool. I'm all I'll set, man. Yeah. I'm pretty simple. I have simple tastes. I'll tell you what, why don't we get started? Um, my name is Bill Mowry, and I'm on staff with the Navigator Church Ministries. And we, uh, my wife Peggy and I live in Columbus, Ohio, home of uh, the Ohio State University. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, let me just introduce myself and the idea of disciple-making by telling a little bit about my background. And, and I realize some of this may date me, unless you understood that I started college when I was 14 years old. But, uh, yeah, in the late 60s, I like to tell the story that when I started college, I was giving my life to the three R's, uh, revolution, rock and roll, and romance. And, uh, but when I was a sophomore in college, you know, I came to faith in Christ. And it was through a friend of mine, just another student, another guy that lived across the hall from me in a dormitory. And over about a year and a half, he just befriended me and, uh, talked about this faith that he had in Christ, and I'd grown up in a church setting, but kind of got radicalized politically about my junior year in high school, and had nothing to do with God or wanted to even talk about him. But Ed lived his life before me, and, and through a process of events, I came to faith in Christ as a student my sophomore year, and I remember uh, thinking to myself, well, what do I do next? And I felt, well, I needed to do three things. I knew I needed to do three things as a new Christian. I needed to pray, I needed to read the Bible, and I needed to go and talk to Ed. Ed was that friend. And so I went down to Ed's room in the dorm, and I said, Ed, I I think I became a Christian the other day, and how do I know? And he said, well, are you reading the Bible now? And I says, yeah. And he says, are you praying now? And I says, yeah. And he says, have you ever done that before? And I said, no. And he said, well, that's probably a pretty good sign that something's happened. And then he did something that kind of was a little step but it really changed my life. He said, hey, listen, tomorrow, why don't we meet down in the study lounge and let's just read the Bible together. I said, sure, why not? I knew Ed, you know, he's my friend. And, and so we began meeting on a regular basis, just reading the Bible together and kind of two friends talking about how does this, how do you make sense out of this book and how do you apply it to the issues we were facing today? And somewhere along in that conversation, and Ed, by the way, was the one that introduced me to the Navigators. He invited me to a campus ministry and 
and to a meeting, and, and I kind of got hooked. And, and somewhere in that first year, I remember Ed saying to me, he said, you know, Bill, have you ever thought of, in the same way that I've been helping you, helping somebody else? And you know what, we've been talking about together, and Ed's just a regular guy, you know. He, you know, he wasn't on staff or anything. And, and he said, but what I've been talking about is helping you to follow Christ, and maybe you can do that with somebody else. Now, in the late 60s, everybody's looking for a cause, right? Some kind of meaning and purpose in life, and I was one of those. And, and I came to the conclusion, somewhere along the first year and a half of my faith, journey in Christ, that, well, I wanted to change society, but I realized that there's really only th- one thing that's going to affect permanent change in people's lives. And that's the gospel, right? That's the good news. That Jesus wanted to change people from the inside out, and I could have a part in that by participating in the Great Commission. And so that's kind of what started me in this whole idea of making disciples and what that looks like. And it started with a friend of mine, invited me to read the Bible with him. And as two guys talking about music and girls and the Bible and music and girls and the Bible, we tried to sort some things out and to figure out how it worked. And so that's kind of my story and how I got engaged in the Great Commission of Making Disciples. And so what we're going to talk about today, if you haven't realized it, I also wrote a book called The Ways of the Alongsider. And so the difficulty is how do you take a session like this and not simply turn it into a promo for your book? So I'm not going to turn it into a promo for the book, but I'd like to talk about some principles of this idea of an alongsider ministry so that you could walk away thinking, again, like so many people, hey, you know, maybe I could do this. You know, I could be an alongsider to somebody else. And here's some practical tools that could help me get started. Okay, so that's where we're going to go today. So let me pray for us. Father, thanks so much for this time together. And I appreciate these men and women coming out. And I appreciate just their hearts to participate in the Great Commission. And you've called us to be partners with you in helping people become wholehearted followers of Christ. And boy, there's just no greater privilege than that. So I pray today that people would walk away from this session kind of having their vision for making disciples uplifted a little bit, that it would challenge their intentionality and their commitment, and then what we talk about could give some kind of practical means to really help right where they live, work, and play to begin to fulfill the Great Commission. So thank you for being with us and for the help of your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, let me introduce this, and everybody, uh, let's make sure everybody gets the notes that are on your table. And we've got them kind of centered there somewhere, so we're going to be walking through that, that set of notes today. And let me introduce this idea of the alongsider by kind of a challenge and presenting the challenge in a story, okay? And so that I was uh, in the Navigator Church Ministries. I work exclusively with pastors and church leaders, helping them build cultures of disciple-making. And I got involved with Pastor Phil, and we had just started actually talking about some of these principles of being an alongsider. And in the meantime, he was teaching a class in his church on disciple-making. So every Wednesday night, he had about 40 men and women coming out, and uh, he's instructing them on how to make disciples. And and I think it was a five-week course, something like that. And about the third week, one of the men in the back raises his hand. And he says, you know, Pastor Phil, I've come to the conclusion that I can never make disciples. And Phil was a little taken back, and he says, well, why do you say that? And they said, well, you know, I can never stand up and teach. I'm just not a good public speaker. I could never stand up and teach like you do. 
And so Phil asks a question and says, okay, now, how many of you feel like you've got the gift of teaching and can kind of stand up and do what I do? You know, kind of about two people kind of raise their hands. And, and then he says, and I thought, what a great comeback. He says, now, how many of you, though, think that you could, with some help, become friends with somebody, read the Bible with them, ask some questions, tell some stories, encourage accountability and application and affirmation. How many of you think you could do something like that? And about everybody's hand went up. Now, as, as you think about that person that initiated the conversation, you know, what's he saying about disciple-making, the guy that first raised his hand? What's he saying? I've got to have this gift of teaching, right, to do this. Because what I've realized in a lot of cases that what people think to be to make disciples is that, one, it's a ministry we give to the paid professionals, or that it's so complicated I can never do it. For example, one of the books, and it's sold on NAV Press, has 32 topics you need to disciple somebody in. And I think to myself, I can't even disciple myself in 32 topics. You know, how do I do that with somebody else? And so sometimes, you know, we, we picture the Great Commission as something, this is really complicated, can I do this? And to me, it reflects this quote that I have written down here by the author Warren Wearsby. It says that no Christian rises higher than the beauty and the quality of the pictures that hang in a gallery of his or her mind. And so that when you think about disciple-making, there are certain pictures that hang in the gallery of our minds, as well as in the minds of the people in our churches. So let's, let's talk here just for a minute. You know, what do you think are some of the pictures of disciple-making, both good and bad, that kind of hang in the galleries of people's minds in your church? What are some of these pictures, do you think? that are hanging in the gallery of people's minds. The expert apologist imparting all of their knowledge to the newcomers. Yeah, the expert apologist. I probably never spell that right, but... Yeah, the expert apologist. Other thoughts? Boring lectures. Yeah, boring lectures. <laughs> uh, of course, you've never had that happen, right? All right, boring lectures. Yeah, maybe those two are blended together. Yeah. What else? What could be some other pictures? I'll never be worth anything. Yeah, good. How about anybody else? Oh, I'll never do anything of any worth. I'll never measure up. Yeah. How about anybody else? Yes, sir. Hey, Dan. Pardon? Yeah, the senior person, the sage. Yeah. But anybody else? Yes. I see uh, two guys sitting across the table from each other, sharing a cup of coffee. Yeah. And reading the Bible. Yeah. Yeah, so here you, the essentials are friends, coffee, and the Bible. Not necessarily in that order, right? Friends, coffee, and the Bible. Yeah, very good. Anything else come to mind? Uh, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah, do you have a secret handshake and you got, yeah, you got your own vocabulary? Yeah, yeah. So it's kind of cultish or secretive even. How about one more? Anything else come to mind? Uh, yes. 
Yeah, and the thing that it, that's intrigued me is, one, because of my experience. My friend Ed was meeting with me in the study lounge, and, and we're reading the Bible together and trying to figure that out. And then he invited me to a small group. And, and also, as I looked at Scripture, and we'll get into this in a minute, that's seeing that I think the Bible presents a little different picture. That it, and, and you've heard it all through this last 24 hours. That it's about a relationship. It's Christ-centered. And it's not. Classes can serve the process, but it's something more than a class. And so what I've done is that, at least for me to make some sense of this, is that I've provided a little definition. And this is kind of one of the pictures that, or a picture I hang in the gallery of my mind. And it's in this green box. And it says that when we minister as alongsiders, that is coming alongside of people, right? We earn the right to intentionally become involved in people's lives. Alongsiders partner with the Holy Spirit, helping others wholeheartedly follow Jesus in all of life. And we purposefully do this in simple life-to-life ways. Build authentic friendships, read the Bible, tell stories, ask questions, encourage application, provide accountability, and live on mission. Now, here's what I'd like you to do. Just take a couple seconds. Is that What I'd like you to do is re- kind of reflect on that statement and maybe underline some words or phrases that jump out to you. Okay? Reflect on that statement and maybe underline some words or phrases that jump out to you. Okay, so what were maybe some of the words or phrases you underlined? Intentional. Intentional, yeah. Why did that one jump out to you? Okay, yeah, yeah, if I don't. Yeah, this is kind of what I need to do. Somebody else over here. Earn the right. Yeah, again, what, what jumped out to you about that phrase? There has to be a relationship with a person in which there is integrity, uh-huh, uh-huh. Uh, transparency. Right. Yes, yeah. It's not imposed, is it? It's given. Yeah. Here's somebody else over here. Any other words or phrases? Yes, way in the back. Thanks. Involved. Involved. Okay. Yeah, again, what, what made that meaningful? If you're not you know, involved in what they're doing, if you're not you know, engaging with them on a day-to-day basis, yeah. they'll out of mind. Yes. Yeah. And, so it's, and in this case, it's a relational involvement. Yeah, very good. Somebody else? Yeah, again, what, what made that kind of statement jump out for you. Okay, yes, yeah, yeah. Sure, sure. Okay, yes, yeah, very good. Anybody else? Words or phrases? Yes. I had to build authentic friendships. Okay, yeah, again, what, what made that statement kind of catch your attention? Okay. That's we need that. Mm-hmm. So we need to be able to be that. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. To be that. Yeah. To have an authenticity about us towards other people. Anybody else? Simple. Okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. 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 We really do. Yeah. I've got the statement that. Uh, 
the greater the complexity, the less likely it'll be done. Okay. This idea of integration. It's yeah. Not, uh, you know, the gospel is not something for this section of your life. It is helping people understand how to bring Christ and the gospel to bear and everything from washing dishes to going to work to yes. studying the Bible. And yes. Yeah. Yeah. Christ is integrated in all of our life and kind of the mundane and quote unquote spiritual. Yeah. How about one more word or phrase that jumped out to you? Life yes. Okay. Yeah. Again, what? What? How did that catch your attention? Well, it, it, because it works. It was done in my life, and the guy okay. investing in me, uh, loving me, and one time, one time telling me my theology was really screwed up. Okay. You know that honesty. Yes. Point me in a better direction. Yeah. But it was life. Yeah, it was life, and again, in the context of a relationship. And again, I, I think that's been, you know, to me, the three words that kind of stand out from. These last 24 hours are probably intentionality, you know, relationship, and generations, right? And so that, uh, that's what we're going to talk about. What are the things that we need to do to help that kind of happen in a person's life? And, and I appreciate somebody back here commenting on simplicity. And, and I deliberately put that in there that uh, these are really pretty simple. It, the, you know, all of us should be able to build friendships, right? And we can all learn to read the Bible with somebody else, and we can learn how to ask some good questions and tell some stories. And we can learn ways to help encourage application, accountability, and figure out how can we live on mission together. So kind of my passion in life is to how do we deprofessionalize and unclutter the Great Commission so we can get as many people engaged as possible in partnering with God, you know, to make disciples and to advance the gospel. And so what I've, you know, what I've thought about over the years, it's, you know, as I've been doing this about 42 years now, I feel like I'm, an, I'm part of this, um, have you ever seen that one company, uh, insurance company advertisement, where it says, I'm going to get it right, that I know a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. And I feel like, okay, over the years, I've, yeah, over the years, I've, I've learned a thing or two because I've seen a thing or two. And so that, I want to share a couple of basic principles that I think can capture this disciple-making experience no matter the context you're in. And one way of illustrating it, and I've got a couple of ways of illustrating it, is think of uh, a lot of times we, we have a two-dimensional approach to disciple-making. If you could picture this as two dimensions, right? And so that, and there's no shortage of one of these at this conference. So one side, two dimensions, is a curriculum or a program. Now, the other side, the other dimension, is a way of organizing it. Now, those things are important, but it stays two-dimensional. So how do we turn this into a three-dimensional ministry? Well, what makes a three-dimensional are the relationships and some principles that can turn any curriculum and any organization into a three-dimensional approach to disciple-making. And that's one way of illustrating these principles we're going to talk about. Another way of illustrating these principles is that uh, I was in a, actually coaching a church and they, uh, one of the things we helped them with is coming up with a picture of a disciple. And so this just happened two weeks ago, talking to the pastor, and I wasn't able to be at the discussion. And he said, you know, we had a great discussion on a picture of a disciple. Then we kind of got sidetracked, and we got into an argument as to what real disciple-making was. And so one of the women in the group said, hey, real disciple-making for me is I invite other women from the neighborhood over, and we're folding laundry together, and we're talking about spiritual things, and we're talking about life. That's disciple-making for me. Another woman says, well, you know, I don't know if I agree with that. 
disciple making is me and another woman or maybe two or three women and we're in the Bible together and we're sharing our lives together. That's disciple making. So which one of these is disciple making? <laughs> it could be all of the above. Let me, let me give you a couple of principles that could help maybe give some definition to this. And let me paint the principles into an, another analogy. That what I found is that these principles are a little bit like predicting the weather. All right, and so that for weather to happen, if it's going to rain here in Nashville in the next 24 hours, I don't know about you, I haven't even seen the outside today. And uh, but if it's going to rain, certain conditions need to be present, right, for rain to happen. It's an intersection of cold and warm fronts. And but you've been around long enough to know that there's not a hundred percent. It's very seldom to get a hundred percent probability that it's going to rain, right? Now it's more likely it's going to rain if the conditions are present, but it's no guarantee. And so it is with these principles. I'd like to suggest when these principles are present, it increases the probability of disciple-making, growth taking place, but it's never a guarantee. Ultimately, it's up to the Holy Spirit. And so what I'd like to do is paint some of these principles that I think need to be in this mix, and if they're there, boy, disciples, disciple-making is going to happen. And it's illustrated on your paper here. First principle, there's just four of them is this idea of a bullseye. And that's the idea of a picture of a disciple. So when Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples, I should have an idea of whether somebody is one or not. Now, discipleship's this interesting paradox, isn't it? Because on the one hand, there Jesus says there are ways you can identify if somebody's a follower of mine. For example, a classic one is John 13, 34, and 35. Anybody know that? And what does that say is a mark of a disciple? Yeah, love. Here, loves others is my disciple. So there's an identifiable mark. But on the other hand, you and I also know we're spending our lifetime figuring out how to love people. <laughs> so it's also a process. And so when we talk about a picture of a disciple, it's a New Testament picture of a disciple, knowing that there are certain marks that should mark a disciple's life. But hey, we're all in this in the long term. And so my goal is I want to be purposeful and have in the back of my mind kind of this picture, a New Testament picture of a disciple and how do I move people towards that. And that's this purpose of, I mean, the idea of purposefulness or intentionality. All right. Now to do that, there needs to be R. And R stands for what? Relationships, yes. And relationship with who first? With the Lord, right? And then relationships with others. And so Cedric, you and here, Cedric. Cedric, we had the session this morning on uh, the silver bullet. I'll let Cedric explain the silver bullet another time. But uh, this was not a gun. Uh, this was not a gun rights uh, advocacy. But uh, <laughs> but it's uh, what's it take to so that you and I are walking with God, and so our life is one that overflows into the life of others. I had a church leader told me that. Uh, he had uh, met with a group of pastors, about eight of them, and he asked them this question. He said, how many of you have a regular time with the Lord in his word and in prayer, apart from preparation for a sermon or a teaching time? How many of you have a regular practice, and at least five times a week? Well, nobody could raise their hand. Okay, how many of you do that? Maybe four times a week, and... Nobody raised their hand. He finally got down to one or two, and he had a couple men raise their hands. 
Now, I would suggest probably for a lot of us that, yeah, we, how are we doing in our walks with God? That's the basis of this whole thing. And so that you and I need to be growing in our relationship with Christ, and that then becomes an overflow, right, in our relationship with others. And so when I think of this idea of authenticity and authentic relationships, you know, I think of these are relationships marked by love, you know, transparency, and vulnerability. And let me tell you how kind of the Lord caught my attention on this. I, for a number of years, I was a, a staff trainer for our collegiate staff in the Navigators and, and saw so this one young couple. They were at a college campus about an hour and a half away, and so we'd usually meet about halfway at this McDonald's. And, uh, and so Mark called me up one time, and he says, Hey, Bill, can we meet outside of our schedule? And I said, Sure. And wondering to myself, huh, I wonder what he wants to talk about. So we get together this McDonald's, and he pulls out this napkin, all right, you know, kind of the McDonald's napkin, and he kind of lays it out in front of me, you know, and, and he draws two circles on it. And he says, Bill, you know, I, I feel like in these two circles, this is me, that's you. And he said, you know, I'm moving towards you in relationship, but a lot of times I feel like you're moving away from me. And I thought to myself, you know, I've had this conversation with my wife, <laughs> and, uh, and, and I've realized, you know, I kind of wasn't really, you know, kind of the love and transparency thing wasn't happening down there. You know, it was more of a program, a curriculum I had to take Mark through. And people can sniff curriculums, can't they? Now, curriculums, they need to be our servants. That's what they are. They can really be helpful. But if we don't have the relational component... We can easily end up treating people as projects, can't we? And so, you know, as we think about four principles in disciple-making, pretty simple. We, we have a bullseye. You know, we're building relationships. And again, this is pretty straightforward. That's a Bible, by the way. Once upon a time, I was certified to be an art teacher, believe it or not. And uh, so that's a Bible. So we're getting people into the scriptures. And you get 2D, which is discovery and discussion discovery and discussion. So I'm engaged with somebody in the scriptures, so there's discovery and discussion taking place. Now, one of the things I often ask pastors as I meet with them, and I don't know if your church is like this, but many churches will have, say, a Wednesday evening Bible study. And uh, so I remember talking to Pastor Todd. I said, so what, what, uh, you know, how, how are your people preparing for Wednesday night Bible study? It's so, well, they really don't prepare. Well, who does all the preparation? Well, I guess I do all the preparation. Okay, so it's a teaching time. You, well, yeah, I guess it is. And said, so, well, why don't you call it Pastor Todd's Bible study? Because you're really not engaged other people in Bible study. It's really your study, and you're teaching people your study. And so, yeah, you know, if it's a Bible study, we ought to have people engaged in the Scriptures. I got a friend that says that, you know, if we're not engaging people... In a first-hand experience of the Bible, it's a little bit like kissing your spouse through a pane of glass. All right? There's an illusion of intimacy. You know? I can see the lips on the other side, but we're not touching. And so we want to figure out how do we engage people into a first-hand experience of the Bible. Now, that doesn't minimize the importance of the teaching ministry. I'm not saying that at all. But in a life-to-life relationship, your discipling relationship... I found that we just need to engage people in the scriptures so that they're making discoveries from the Bible.
By the way, here's a little test. When you're choosing a Bible study, and, uh, okay, here's my book, is that, and my book is okay, but I like to look for the amount of white space in a book. Now, I wanted to get more white space in my book, but the publisher didn't want to do it because it mean it had to expand the pages. <laughs> but what is it, when there's a lot of white space in something called a Bible study, what does that tell you about what the author's intention is? He wants to engage me, right? Now, if all it is is text and it's called a Bible study, well, let's just be honest and call it a book and not a Bible study. So if you're selecting Bible study material... The simple rule of thumb I always ask myself is that how much white space is in the book? Because that means I've got to think and I've got to answer. I've got to reflect on what's being said so that there's discovery and discussion taking place. Because what we discover is kind of what we own. And then we're talking about it together. And so it's a conversation about the scriptures rather than a monologue. Now let me illustrate this so you don't think I'm, uh, I'm off my... I'm going to do something too radical here. Remember when uh, some of you, again, I started college when I was 14 years old, and so we had these in our playground. Remember the old uh, teeter-totter? Right. And uh, so that, you know, people would sit on a teeter-totter, right? And By the way, this is uh, part of my... Uh... And so it would go up and down, right? Now, what I find a lot of times happens in the local church is that and particularly if you got on the teeter-totter with somebody a little more of a plus size and, and, uh, and this person would weigh it down, right? You'd be kind of dangling up there. And I think a lot of times what happens in the local church is we put a lot of emphasis on formal teaching and little over here in the informal discovery side. Now, what I'd like to suggest is that teeter-totter is meant to go up and down, right? And so there's a place for the informal discovery and discussion to take place and there's also a place full of formal teaching. We need to have both. And so, but in a discipling relationship in particular, we need to have the discovery and discussion piece. Does that make, does that make sense? Now, here's the last element, and that's the 3A. You know, when I was a freshman in high school, I played baseball through my freshman year, and I got a couple of my friends in the back that played baseball longer than I did. But I had one noticeable highlight of my entire baseball career as a freshman. I played second base. And so, you know, it's, a, it's you know, somewhere in the second inning, and there's players on first and second. All right? Got to picture this. So the batter, you know, lines this drive off right at me as a second baseman. So I, I actually catch the ball. Now, the runners in first and second didn't think I was going to catch the ball. So what are they doing? They both took off. So I tagged the runner from first, and the runner from second is almost back to third. So what do you do as a good second baseman? Tag the base. What did I just have? Unassisted triple play. <laughs> and uh, I got three runners out all at once. And so this is kind of the triple play of disciple making. And that is, how do you help people apply the scriptures how do you encourage accountability? And then how do you give affirmation? And all three of these elements need to take place. One of the churches we were, have been working with, one of the women made an interesting observation. She says, you know, in order to grow big, we have to go small. 
To grow big, we have to go small. Because when we go small, this can begin to happen, can't it? In a classroom or from a pulpit, I really don't have a feel that people are applying the scriptures. In a classroom or a pulpit, it's hard to encourage or accountability. In a classroom or a pulpit, how do I give affirmation to somebody? But if I'm with them one to one, one to two, one to three, boy, this begins to take place. Because now we're in relationship with one another. When we're in relationship with one another, around the scriptures in some form, application, you know, accountability and affirmation could take place. As we're focused on mutually becoming a wholehearted follower of Jesus Christ with kind of that bullseye in front of us. And so as I thought about it, I thought, you know, this is kind of four little principles that can help picture disciple making so that no matter what curriculum we're using, we can take these four principles and apply it and turn it into a disciple making setting. And so I'd suggest like the woman that was folding clothes, if she's helping these women move closer to Christ, she's in relationship with them. They're talking about the scriptures together, so there's some discussion, but they, they may not have done a Bible study, but they're talking about the Bible. Then she's coming along and saying, hey, how do you think you could apply that to your life? And then when they fold clothes two weeks later, hey, how did it go? <laughs> you know, yeah, you followed through. Good job. And they affirm them. And so what I found is, hey, if I'm thinking in terms of those four basic principles, well, that can take place in a variety of settings and contexts, can it? and with a variety of curriculums and programs. And so that, to me, this is kind of some simple little principles that how we can come alongside of somebody and move them towards being a disciple. What time do I finish here? 145. 1.45, okay, so I'm going to have time. I feel a sermon coming on. So uh, and then, then we're going to do something. But I want to talk about this last A of affirmation because we don't, do a good job at this. And I worked in a church. I felt I was living in an affirmation-free zone. Um, and, uh, and so that, uh, in fact, one of the uh, men, and he was actually the maintenance manager for the church when they do the end-of-the-year assessments. And, and, uh, and at that time, I wasn't on staff, but I was one of the deacons in the church. And so we're doing the assessment with this individual. And this individual shares with me and the other deacon with me that, Boy, he just doesn't feel affirmed a whole lot, you know, in his job. Okay, we take all that in, and, and so we're walking away. I'm walking with the other deacon, and the other deacon says, and he's, you know, uh, has a, you know, a great career. He's an insurance salesman, actually very wealthy. And he says, you know, in the real world, the business world, you don't worry about affirmation. You just do your job. And at the time, I wasn't smart enough to say anything. But I thought about that. I thought, okay, which is the real world? And I thought, well, the real world's the kingdom world, right? That's the real world. Now, in the kingdom world, in Romans 12.10, how are we to respond to one another in the kingdom world? And the Apostle Paul says this. I hope it's 12.10. That, um, yeah, love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. I almost have this picture here of I'm on a race. I'm trying to outdo Pauline here and how to show honor to other people. 
Now, it doesn't say outdo one another in receiving honor. It's giving it. And so I'm, I'm focused on the other person, honoring them. And to me, that's the kingdom world. Now, again, we're not doing that to manipulate people. We're not doing it to make stuff up. You know, it needs to be a genuine sense of affirmation. And we know how to do that. But I think sometimes we, we just miss that with people and with one another. And so that if I'm in relationship with somebody... I know what's going on in our lives, and I can give genuine affirmation, can't we? So these are four principles. What I'd like to do is I'm going to demonstrate this a little bit in action, and we're going to talk about it for a minute, and then I'm going to have you assess yourself. How are you doing at applying these principles? So to uh, demonstrate this, ask my friend Tyler here. Tyler, why don't we uh, grab a chair here, man? And uh, so we're going to... uh, this is Friday, right? Yeah, 7.15 Friday mornings. I have an appointment with Michael. at a. Uh, he's a uh, young man. I mean, anybody 40 years old is young to me anymore. And so uh, he's in my, uh, out of my adult Bible fellowship at my church. And, and so Michael and I are in kind of this discipling relationship. And so every 15, 7.15 Friday mornings, we're meeting in Panera. And one of the things that we've been talking about is uh, how do you spend time with God? And because, you know, Michael or Tyler... You know, he's got a busy job. He's in middle management at a major hospital in Columbus. And he's just got, and he's got two teenage girls. You know, you know how that goes. And he's just busy. So how do we get, and he knows, I want to be spending time with the Lord. So we're having a conversation about that. And so let me, and this is obviously, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a truncated conversation. It's, there's an artificiality to it. So taking all those things into consideration just kind of maybe observe a little bit what takes place. All right, man. Okay, Tyler. Hey, well, thanks for doing this. Yeah. Alabama, huh? I know. All right. <laughs> we won't get into that discussion. <laughs> and after, you could discover something. Yeah, I know. Listen, after last week's game with Ohio State, I don't even want to think about that. All right. Hey, we've, we've been having this conversation, you know, and I appreciated your desire to, uh, you know, really think about how do we cultivate this daily time with God. And, uh, you know, there's a verse in the Old Testament that, to me, just provides a motivation for why I'd want to spend time with the Father. And it's in Exodus 33.11. So I got my Bible here. So you want to read Exodus 33.11 for us? And then, and then, then we're just going to talk about it for a minute. Sure. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. When Moses turned again into the camp, his assistant Joshua, the son of Nun, a young man, would not depart from the tent. Yeah, okay, good. Now, now again, just make sure our theology is straight, that we know that God is spirit, and so it's not like there's this great bearded man in the sky that Moses is talking to here. But what does that passage kind of, what does it say about their relationship? Yeah. Oh, well, it says it was face-to-face, so there was clearly some kind of direct... Uh, okay, okay. There. Um, it says it was, a, it was as a man speaks to his friend, yeah. so it wasn't... Yeah. Um, a student speaking to a teacher kind of feel, or uh, well, even in this, it's, you know, it, well, it's just what exactly that. It's, yeah. it's, a, it's a, someone and their friend communicating together. Well, what do you think? He uses that phrase in there, face-to-face, and so, mm-hmm. so he, he kind of chooses you know, that descriptor. And so when it says face-to-face, what's that kind of bring to mind for you? you know, what, would be face, what would be characteristic of a face-to-face relationship, do you think? Yeah. Um, Straightforward, uh, transparent. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Straightforward. Authentic. Um, yeah. Or face to face. 
Um, I can see your right. uh, uh, flaws. You can see my flaws. Right, right. Uh, yeah, you should have shaved this morning. I know. Yeah, I know. Um, and uh, there's a... There's a closeness there. Yes, yes. Closeness. Yeah, yeah, good point. And he also describes there, how does he describe face-to-face, and how else does he describe this relationship? The, as a man speaks to his Yeah, friend. right, yeah. So let, let's think about friendship for a minute. Because um, friend, face-to-face, as you shared, it you know, communicates closeness, attentiveness to one another. So think of a good friend. I mean, to you, what are some of the marks of what a good friend is like? Mm. Uh, well, they listen. Okay. They're um, they're loyal. Okay. All right. They um, they're concerned about me. Right. Um, right. They uh, look out for my good. They love me. Yeah. Okay. So looking out for my good, they're loving me. Yeah. They um, are there for me. Right. Right. Um, and they expect. I think my good friends they expect certain things from me, and if if it's not there, they'll have the boldness to address that okay good yeah so they're expecting something from me which yeah so out of those descriptors you just gave which of those do you think could also be characteristic of a friendship with god um well you know i know god is love yeah i mean obviously we have that peace you know the lord loves me um have the idea that uh he, he chastens me okay um, okay so there's this discipline kind of account if, right. you know, if i'm going to reap what i sow kind of right principle um you know that he's faithful to me even when i'm not faithful sure he's loyal um, i think a lot of those things could be um, applied over yeah to God. yeah well you know there are other passages we could look up in the bible about i mean jesus says no longer do i call you servants mm-hmm. but i call you friends and so how do you feel about this idea of that yeah. you and I could be friends of God. Right. Yeah, well, it's not typically the category that uh, I think I have and a lot of people have. You know, right. God is my Savior, He's my Lord, He's my King, but then He's my friend. Yeah, it's like yeah. We do a lot of development in the other areas. And yeah, I mean, it's amazing. You know, yeah. The God of the, yeah. of the universe who just, you know, descended here on this mountain right. a couple chapters right. earlier wants... Um, to communicate with us as a, you know, as a friend. Yeah, um, right. And would later send a, a man to do just that. Right, in right. Physical form. So yeah. That's yeah, uh, it's kind of hard to take in, honestly. Right, right. But it, but again, God's the one that's making yeah. the statements. Is that you and I Amen. conjuring up this? Amen. So, what do you think it takes, say, on your part, mm-hmm. to be a friend of God? Yeah. Well, it certainly makes an effort. Uh, takes making an effort to get to know Him. Right, um, right. And. Um, it requires diligence. Yes. It requires um, discipline. Right. Um, and and um, loving even when it's not easy. Right. Of course, in my case, it's due to my own shortcomings and sinfulness. Right. Um, but um, making time, I would say. Sure. Real yeah. important. Right. Yeah. If you don't make time, it's... Uh, Just like any friend, right? Right. Difficult to yeah. cultivate a friendship. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So I think those things in particular to be... Um, Concerned about the things of the Lord and make time to um, seek His to make that happen. Yeah, 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 yeah. And again, I think we'd both agree that kind of the scriptures are one way God speaks to us, and we speak to Him in prayer. Yeah. And so that what I found is that by setting aside some time, like in any relationship, where I'm in the scriptures and, and I'm praying, it helps build that relationship. Mm-hmm. And so that 
as you think of your life right now, if you had to put it on a scale of kind of one to five in terms of getting that time to spend with the Lord on a regular basis, how do you think you might rate yourself on a scale of one to five? Well, right now I'm the luxury of regularly carving it out. Okay, uh, all right. Five, yeah. six days a week. So yeah, excellent. Probably higher on that scale than in uh, in other seasons. Sure, where that's not sure. That's the case. Yeah, yeah. Well, listen, I you know I know you got to go to work and I got to go to work. Mm-hmm. How about we get together next time and we can talk further about yeah? Could you even what, what would it take that if we put it on a scale of one to ten? What, what can you do to even enrich it further yeah. from there? Yeah. So how about if we met yeah back next week? Yeah, that sounds good. Yeah. We'll talk about that. Okay. Hey, well, thanks, man. Yeah. For sure. All right. All right. <laughs> now again, it's 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 a little truncated, tad artificial, but. But let's kind of take it apart a little bit. What did you observe here in our conversation? I call this, we have different types of conversations, right, with people. We have, you know, supportive conversations. We're encouraging one another. We have social conversations. And then sometimes we have the opportunity to have a discipleship conversation. So here's a discipleship conversation. So what did you observe that took place here? I think a key is having the other person read the word. Okay. So whether it's before in preparation or, hey, could you read that verse? Yes. And then have them start to pick it apart because you know, it starts to remove that glass. Yeah, so yes, yeah, yeah, good. Other thoughts? What did you observe here? Yeah, well, Stephen. The way that you uh, ask, you already know what you have in mind, essentially, but instead of telling him, you're discuss- helping him to discover yeah. what's already there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, as opposed to preaching, my little five-minute, yeah. Yeah, or longer, that's right. Maybe it's because you were in teacher mode there, um, but I saw you verbally engaging him. Uh Uh-huh. But as far as your body language, you looked very um, judgy. Uh Uh-huh. Oh, that's interesting. I'm sorry, but you sit here with your arms crossed. But verbally, you were like, yeah, uh, yeah, Yeah. Right, right. But you look judgy. Okay, all right. Yeah, you all just intimidated me, that's why. Yes. Oh, that's right. This is all on the mic, isn't it? Okay, so what did you, uh, yeah, so what did you observe? Oh, this is now on mic for, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's right. And my name is Jim now, <laughs> and, uh, but uh yeah, and so what we're talking about deconstructing is a, we're in the scriptures together. There's discovery taking place. We're asking questions. We're engaged in a conversation. And maybe I need to be a little more sensitive about my body language in that setting. One or two other observations from this. You asked him to define what he thought in his Okay, Yeah, I asked him to define it so I can understand what he's thinking. And again, why would that be important, do you think, in discipling somebody? Because you may be saying two different You might be thinking two completely yes. different things for the same idea. Yes, we could be thinking two different things for the same idea. Right, I was going to say the same thing. Is that if you're discipling, then you have to operate under the assumption that you're trying to grow them in Christ. So why would in a way, have the same, would you both have the same view? Right. Because you have one that's immature in the faith and the other that is. Yeah. So you're trying to guide them toward that 
Yes, yeah, so it's like, yes, guidance towards maturity. And the other thing is I might discover that, hey, he's, and like he said, I thought it was interesting on a scale of one to five, how would you feel? And he says, I'm a five. So I'm discovering, hey, there's a real maturity there that maybe I hadn't noticed before, and so, which was good. Uh-huh. As an observer, like if I were watching you, I felt something in my heart when he said, like, oh, the creator of the universe, like, yeah. yeah. I'd love to see it. I thought it was a great question, and that made me really feel something, and it okay. brought it to a different level of the feeling part. Yes. We didn't have enough time to read the whole thing. But I do think it would have been, I would have just, I was hoping one little thing for you to say, oh, let me tell you how I... Yeah, sure, sure. Uh huh. Yeah. Yes. Well, and that gets back to the authenticity piece that that somewhere along the way I want to share about how this has impacted my life. Yeah, yeah. And like I said, it's kind of truncated, a little artificial, but but again, I wanted to demonstrate some of these principles so that in the back of my mind, I'm. I'm thinking that, uh, well, really, to me, one of the first things that disciple people in is, how are we doing in our walk with God? You know, that we just want to focus on Jesus and how do we develop a regular time of meeting with him? And, and I do it in the context of a relationship. We're in the scriptures, so there's discovery and discussion. Hopefully I affirmed him along the way, and, and uh, we talked a little bit about application, and we talked about coming back again the next week and talking some more. And uh, so, again, kind of that 3A was, was illustrative in this conversation. And, and so I do that to illustrate that, again, with a little help, we can... And really, when we're talking about the Bible, I'm just having him talk about what's right there. Right? You know, what's it mean by friend, face-to-face? And so we're just getting... We're kind of meditating on the Scriptures together and then seeing where it's going to lead us. And so I want to do that as one way of illustrating this process. Now, let's, let's look at you. So turn over to the back page, page two. It says, a picture in my life. And so that uh, the, uh, there's 15 statements here. What I'd like you to do next to each of those statements is to rate one, each one on a scale of one to five. One indicates that you seldom practice this behavior. Then five indicates that you regularly practice this behavior. Total your scores at the end, and then there's a little thing down here for see if I'm a beginner, am I growing and being an alongsider, am I a skilled practitioner? And uh, then we're going to have everybody tell their scores, and we're going to see who has a hot... No, we won't do that. Um, but let me give you a couple minutes, and we're going to break you up by tables and talk about this, okay? And so let me give you a couple minutes and kind of go through this. It's, it's just one way of assessing how am I doing and applying these things we're talking about, Okay. So let me give you a couple minutes, then let you talk around your tables. Yeah, one is seldom, and five is that it's a regular practice. Now again, don't just kind of give quick responses, right? Don't feel I've got to labor over this, but you know, kind of get, just give a quick response. And then as you look at uh, around your tables, when everybody's done, I'd like you to discuss the uh, two questions here. What did you discover about your strengths? And what did you discover about some areas of growth, which is code word for weaknesses? No, not really. But, but uh, so as a table, when everybody's done, 
want you to talk as a table. What did you discover about some areas of growth, and what did you discover about some of your strengths as an alongsider? This is, this, we want to be affirming here. And so what did you discover about some of your strengths as an alongsider? What did you discover about some of your strengths? What kind of strength is a three and above? Okay, feel comfortable, yeah, building relationships. Faith story. Uh huh. Yeah, hearing their faith story. And I'd also suggest not only coming to the know the Lord, but kind of that broader scope, even. Yeah, kind of this whole picture of their life and what God's been doing. But hearing their faith story, other things you discovered about your strengths. Yes, sir. No, go ahead. Yes. And so it's a love and connecting with other people in the body of Christ. And I had a friend that said that a lot of times we can be guilty of omnicompetence. <laughs> I feel I have to be competent in everything. And so it is in discipling people that we think, I can't be able to do everything well if it's just one-to-one. But it's a team sport. In fact, there's a book out there, right? Somewhere in disciple-making is a team sport. Yes. So, you know, by the way, the reason I'm repeating this because of the tape, but, but again, that. At the top, I, be, I can believe in some of these statements, but how am I doing at applying it and living those out? Yeah, thanks for your honesty. Yeah, so I want to listen to how the Spirit's leading so I can plan an emphasis, a conversation that I'd want to have with that person. Yeah, very good. How about any areas of growth that surfaced as you walk through this little assessment? Yeah, and I think that's one of the, yeah, so what I need to do is find time with people outside of, say, a discipling conversation or a small group. How do we do that? And I think that's, that's just a challenge, isn't it, the busyness of our world today. And uh, so we're something we're always working on. Somebody else over here. And, yeah, the same thing. Yes, sir. So again, the challenge, how do we just find kind of time to hang out with one another and sometimes eating a meal together can be an easy way of doing that. And in that case, there's no particular agenda other than just as friends, we're meeting together. And again, if we had time, we could explore what are some practical ways we could help make that happen. Now, I'm, uh, I want to end here with one illustration, but let me stop. I, one of the, uh, if you notice over here in deploying alongsiders within the church, that's this idea that, boy, if we could train men and women to, in a sense, for us to effectively do this, that who are the people in your church that you, they've got a clear picture of what a disciple is. You know, there's a walk with God, an ability to connect with others relationally. And we've got a couple of little skills we could use in getting people into the scriptures. So there's discovery and discussion taking place. And, and we're working and helping people to apply and be accountable and, and to give affirmation. So if we could de- train and deploy people like this in the church, what would that look like? And let me give you two illustrations that, uh, of opportunities for that. One is that uh, kind of what we've done in one church is develop a, a, what we call a rapid response team. And a rapid response team is that, you know, somebody comes to faith in Christ. Somebody, you know, prays with somebody. In other words, that a lot of times this is where pastors feel that this is my primary job. Now, suppose a pastor knew that, hey, I've got six to eight people in the church I could call on them to make this initial contact with somebody. Maybe a new visitor, somebody came to faith, somebody that prayed with somebody, and that we've got people that we've trained that could, boy, I could immediately send them out to connect relationally with others. The other piece on this as to how do you deploy alongsiders is to think that probably for a lot of us, 
you know, we have the large-scale gathering, a worship setting, but then we've got some mid-sized gatherings, whether it's a home church, you know, life group that's sizable, maybe in our church we call them adult Bible fellowships. And so it's a, a mid-sized gathering of people. And uh, one of my goals, because I, I teach an ABF at our, group, our church, is I'm always praying, Lord, give me one or two people that I could come alongside of. So I'm doing that with Michael, and last night I would have met with a friend named Bob. And, uh, but they've been in my ABF, and so that again, like in a mid-sized gathering, that there are people present who have a vision and the heart and the know-how to being alongside her. And so that now in a mid-sized gathering, these are the people kind of out here looking for who wants to grow and who can I invest in. And so whether it's, you know, a, uh, as large as a class, a house church, home group, small group, that there's some people we want to invest in, and that we've got people who have the heart, vision, and know-how to do that as an alongsider. Does that make sense? So let me stop here, and uh, before we wrap up with the application, any questions on anything we've talked about? Application or clarity or... Yes. Okay, let's talk about that as a big group. So what, would, what suggestions would you have for Tyler here? Yeah, I'm sorry. Yes, um, yeah, glad you're back there. Uh, <laughs> you know, in a church setting, it could be a small group, wherever, sometimes we do. There are people that, have, that just aren't skilled in building relationships because of a past background, you know, whatever it might be, that building relationships are just difficult to them. And so that, how do we help them in that setting? Yeah, very good. Sometimes I, in a sense, I need to find people that are more skilled than me to deal with some of these deeper issues. And uh, again, that's that idea of how to, in the body of Christ, how do I connect people with people like that? And so again, that I don't have to be everything in discipling somebody. Okay, all right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because they understand each other. Sure, sure. Yeah, so again, connecting people maybe, of, you know, that they could come alongside of. It's of a young, young adult, maybe connecting with a teen, something like that. One more comment. Yes, in the back. So I'm a campus minister, so I deal with that. Well, and, and being, yeah, and being able to do that means that I'm in relationship with them in such a way that I could bring something like that up. I'm getting signals from the back. I've got about a couple more minutes left. So let me... Uh, let me direct you to the bottom of the page on page uh, three here on my application. And so that uh, what I'd like you to do, and I'll give you time, well, hopefully you'll take the time later, but I'd like you to just to write out what's one insight that caught your attention from this workshop today. Just kind of quickly write out one insight, then I'm going to give away the books, and then i got one last story. All right, here's the, uh, the test for the books. Uh, for Callie's book. So when Warren Wiersbe says that no Christian rises higher than equality, beauty and equality, the picture is that. All right. All right. Who can? Who's the first hand that can tell me what R plus 2D plus 3A means? All right. That man right there. All right. R is relationship between God and others. Which one are you talking about? Yep. R2D3A. Very good. All right. All right. Way to go, man. All right. Let me leave you with a, uh, a picture illustration for vision.
My uh, wife and I are avid yardeners, okay? We're not gardeners. We don't raise vegetables, but we like flowers and shrubs. And so in the middle of May in Ohio, you know, about May 15th is past the frost date, right? Okay, so the ground's not going to freeze anymore. So at our nurseries, they are so full of people that they literally have policemen, you know, directing traffic. So I'm standing in line in my garden center, and kind of about from here to Margaret, the line is that long, and I've got my shopping cart, big cart, full of flowers and shrubs. And I'm sitting there thinking, you know, the goal of this nursery is to sell all of their stock and just populate the city of Columbus with all these plants and shrubs. That's their goal, is to get rid of it. Now, a few weeks before that, we had visited in Columbus what's called the Franklin Conservatory of Plants, and in the conservatory... You can walk through the rainforest room, the desert room, the orchid room, the bonsai room. Now, all the plants stay in the conservatory, and they're in an artificial environment, all right? So I'm standing there with my shopping cart, and my mind works in odd ways, but I'm starting to think, so which one of these is what the church should be like, nursery or conservatory? (laughs) And I thought things should really be like this nursery, shouldn't it? So we're planting people, disciples, out in every corner of every communica- commun- you know, of that community, right where they live, work, and play. Now, how can they take root and bear fruit, right? And so that as churches, we really need to figure out how can we be like those nurseries and not like a conservatory, and how are we getting rid of our people and planting them in the community so that they're advancing the gospel. So when we think about a ministry of disciple-making, thinking about being an alongsider, that's what we're trusting God to do. So thanks, everybody. And it will send you on. And if you want a copy of the uh, Crock-Pots, kind of a narrative of how we can come alongside of your church and help them grow a disciple-making culture, we have people standing at the doors. And if you want to be recontacted by the navigators in some way, and you can turn us down, don't have to answer our emails. But if you'd like us just to get back in touch with you in some way so we can serve you, maybe just leave us your business card or write out your email address on a piece of paper and leave it at the table. Did I miss anything? Okay, thanks everybody. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. That message was from Navigator Church Ministries track called Crockpot Church Cultures in a Microwave World at the National Disciple Making Forum. You'll find dozens of other great discipleship resources like this podcast at discipleship.org. May the Lord bless you as you seek to grow as a disciple maker. And don't forget to pick up the free PDF resource called The Start Small, Go Slow Strategy at discipleship.org slash navigators.